All right, hello. Welcome to Euphoria Season 6, Episode 5. I was on the wrong tab, so we're going to pretend like I started that off really smoothly. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and of course, all of you people on YouTube. Just mouse something secret to them that you can only see if you're in video land. Take that, audio-only listeners. <laughs> yeah, everyone just has to listen to the spit. This, just this quietly. Meme. The bonus for you at home is you get ASMR if you're in audio land. You're... Someone has the headphones in, and it's like, this is making me wildly uncomfortable, and I've discovered a new fetish. Woo! Two ends of the spectrum there in one sentence. All right, well, today's guest is going to be LS Castor, analyst for the LCK broadcast, a man of many talents and a very busy work schedule. Uh, if you don't know him, you're going to get to know him over the course of this episode. But before we talk to him, it's important for us to recap the first half. We had a break week. We did all nine games across four weeks, given the Super Week. We're going to do it again with a Super Week in Week 8. And just as a quick uh, heads up for anyone who has missed the action so far and is just coming in, we ended the first half of the split with Mad Lions Rogue tied for first, both at 7-2. and two. Uh, G2 Esports, Misfits, tied at third. Excel Esports and Fnatic, tied at fifth. With Are you Origin in the right? SK. No. Yes. Good, sir. LEC 2020 Summer Standings. What are you looking at? I'm looking at LET, LEC 2020 Summer Season. We've got a... But we've, we've only got, played five games. We've, on, we've only played five games. And you said nine games. We've only played five games. I'm, I'm very disoriented. We've only played five... Girl, the first half of the split is done. There's 18 games in this. All right, we're gonna forgive Frostgar. We're gonna happening? move on. What are you? What did you screen clip the wrong thing? We've only we've got we gotta get to the LS thing. We don't want to keep him waiting. So anyway, there's a big fat tie for fifth place. All you need to know is there's a lot of teams letting us down right now. Shalka finally found a win. Mad Lions and Rogue are on top. And for the G2 and Fnatic fans, it's uncertain what is happening next. So Frostgar, to recap this discussion, to bundle it up nicely. <laughs> Five games. My God. Come I on. had to hit refresh. He was open. I was like, I was really disoriented. That's I was the like, last time okay, you were here with the laptop. But isn't here's, it? oh, yeah, but here's the thing. I'm used to the LPL. By this point, we'd played like 300 games. What do I know if it's only been five games or nine games? There you go. That's the that's the fire. All right. So, are I've we, had very I want to break it down now that you have the correct game score. Are we optimistic about these teams? Pessimistic or my favorite category? Meh. Meh. I'm shrugging right now if you can't see this. Eh. Um, kind of which teams are we? Okay, let's let's talk about optimistic teams. I think it's super easy to be optimistic about Mad Lions, uh, Rogue. Mm. I think fit in that bucket. I'm not actually really optimistic about many other teams. I think Origin fans are like, but what about us? Uh, they're on a two losing game streak. So what, what about you? Uh, yeah, I'm super optimistic about Mad Lions and Rogue. I think it's super cool to see teams that were kind of like right on the edge now find enough development as well as the other teams sliding backwards. And that's like the re I know we've said this multiple times, but I don't really see it impacting on social media yet. Guys, the top two teams got worse. Fnatic and G2 are not playing as well as they normally do. They are not playing in peak form that we have seen from these rosters from these teams. Mad Lions and Rogue are also playing better. That is two things can happen at once. It's not just the other teams playing bad and Mad Lions and Rogue stay the same. Mad Lions and Rogue did get better. Which, to be fair, is really hyped domestically. Makes LEC that much more compelling to watch. Internationally. But internationally very, very scary. scary. Yes, because the ceiling is not going up. We've just got new teams that are hitting the same ceiling. No one has broken the ceiling yet. We are not transcendently going to smash every LPL team now because Mad Lions are the second coming of, well, I guess G2. Um, <laughs> we can hope though, maybe. Team, anyone else you're optimistic about? Or is it just those two? Uh, optimistic. Can I find a spicy optimist right now? I think it's e easy to be optimistic about teams like Excel, Vitality, and SK. I okay. think you're if you're an if you're one of those fans, you're like, you know, my team's 
doing okay. I think draft is really reliant because they're still not getting it all the way right. But you can see like week on week development. Mm. It feels good that you're no longer just at the bottom of the standings. That's true. I think optimistic also for Schalke fans. If we're talking about goalposts, like Schalke fans had nothing to be happy about. Gilius comes in on that lease in. Boom. Optimism is there. Boom. Taking down for the Fanatic fans a notch. That's crazy. I still can't believe that that happened. That, that is so wild. I was watching that game or re-watching that game this morning and I was just like... You can see Fnatic in the setup about kind of what they want to do, but then like instantaneously Shaka just punch him in the face over and over. They found really good angles too, especially on mid lane. Some of those um, Lee Sin kicks on Syndra in mid lane into Galia were just like, I was like, Gilius, mm. that's that good that's, stuff. That's beautiful. Oh, so good. God, Gilius. Full Super Saiyan. He's back. He's ripped. He's here to he's here to make a difference for the Shaka lineup. Gets them their first win. So I think that's good because you're right that these are teams that had, let's say, disastrous previous splits um yep. are just disappointing in, in the case of excel but this is pretty disastrous for sk and vitality and Schalke as well off to that horrible start even if they did turn it around here's my big question fanatic and g2 <laughs> are we pessimistic are we meh where where are you where are you like do you believe in the in, in the project or are you just like this is just going to continue to be a mess because Histo- like we can go the historic angle and it's like and this is very valid and it's very fair and people can bring this up and we bring this up because i think it's true it's that in the end they always get there i mean people are tired of hearing that from us and like i don't know what to tell you the thing is the thing is is after also talking with ls i feel even more emboldened to be like maybe not so much fanatic i'll still give them the benefit of the doubt but like g2 especially that i will give them the benefit of the doubt because there's a huge portion of the interview where we talk with ls where it's like you know how do you fix this problem what are you teaching to players what are you like what type of discussions are you having and i listen to a lot of team comms and i listen to a lot of g2 and fanatic comms and they just talk about stuff that other teams do not talk about. And I'm not going to say that that's because other teams or players don't know that those things exist or whatever it is. But when we're talking about this idea of variance or win conditions or whatever, I have more faith that G2 and Fnatic will hit closer to that target. Obviously, they're not hitting it right now. Fnatic in particular. We also talk about that with LS. But I have more faith that they have the combined brain cells that they can do it. And I've seen them do it in the past. I hear them do it when I listen to them in their comms. And that's why I have that faith. I know Reddit's unhappy with me. They don't like hearing. They want me to tear down Fnatic. They want me to tell them they're the bad team. Guess what? Your team's shit right now. They're not playing very well. They're not on the same page. But that doesn't mean that they're going to be shit forever. And that's what I have faith in. I feel that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And eventually, Fnatic will get it together and get it in gear. Why? Because I think that they have the talent on that roster, not just in their hands, but also in their brains. And that's my motivational speech. Wow. Mm-hmm. Use those big old brains, Fnatic. Put them all together, work together, and you can be the change you want to see in they your have own team. absurdly talented players. Yeah, there's five really good players. Let's Okay, so who haven't we actually hit yet? We've got... Origin. And Mis- Misfits. Are you pessimistic on both Origin and Misfits? Because here's, here's... I'm kind of meh. I'm kind of meh, too. I'm distinctly meh on... You sound like you're optimistic for Fnatic, though. Uh, I mean, like, I'm also meh on Fnatic and all this. I could give... There are zero fiddlesticks for me to care about what Fnatic are going to do. Because I'll be like, I guess I'll see you guys in five weeks at playoffs and we'll decide from there. And yeah. again, the audience doesn't want to hear this. They want us to take our shots at Fnatic and G2, like, kick them when they're down, put the salt in the wind. I'm like, there's nothing in it for me. The, the dog's already dead. Like, I don't need to shoot it again. Wow. Normally, it's a horse 
because it's an animal that I think people will less. Care I just less got the about, vision the of like old yeller. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. Because that's what it is. Like they're the old yeller of Europe. Maybe Europeans don't understand that reference. That's true. They're the old reliable team. You know, they're always going to be here at the top. That's such a bad branding. That's the worst branding of all time. They're here. <laughs> they're always there, guys. They're always there. They're not the best right now, but they're always they're around. Okay, is that not enough for you? They're here. They look good. No, uh, yeah. So, Fanatic's an interesting case. Misfits and Origin. I'm, I'm decidedly meh on. Um, I could say pessimism about Origin, but honestly, it's like. But here's the thing about Origin: they were this close to beating Mad Lions. Yeah. Like Kaiser had to make a crazy Alistar outplay, which was super cool to watch. I think we also did a mechanics episode on it. I don't know. Yep. Shout out. Um, and like, still people. Even in conversations, people always forget to bring up Origin. I'm like, that's so, that feels bad. They were this close to taking down the number one team. Yeah. And, and then they lost to Vitality and they lost to Mad Lions in that horrible way. And like, God. I think the Rogue uh, beating was the one that really hurt. Like, Nuke Duck had a bad game. That was a real rough time. And that's Larson brutal. was just styling on him. Absolutely brutal. Yeah. I've loved every Larson game except for that Echo game versus G2. Like, everything else was. Or no, versus, versus Mad Lions. Everything else was sick nasty. The, the man is playing out of his mind this season. Him and Humanoid both are, are looking so good, which is so nice to see because I always... It's rare that we see significant jumps in or changes in mid lane tier list once players are established, I feel like. Because like when Jazuke came in, he was like top three till he left, pretty much, right? And he had some drips in performance due to health issues, but he was like, he was there at the top. So up until there was an external problem, he was there. Perks, caps, boom, at the top. Nemesis got his place in the top, but now they're dropping down and we're seeing these other guys rise up and I think that's cool. I also think that the meta really shifted into a good comfortable spot, especially for Larson. Maybe not so much in Humanoid because I feel like he has now shown that he can play kind of both styles, if you will, of the mid lane champion pool, but like we're in Azir territory and Larson's a really good Azir player. Azir's nuts. You were talking about it. Give us a little spiel on Azir. I think Azir's a really stupid champion. Um, So So do I. (laughs) Yeah, so in League of Legends, more often than not, mages are gated by two things, which is, or every champion has levels, right? And then they have stats that they scale with. And levels are really important for every champion. Historically, why mid laners go mid is because as magic damage dealing champions, um, they do better with levels than AD carries do, right? That's more often than not why we've seen mages in the mid lane. Assassins obviously have their place there as well because they value levels very highly. So that's why that solo lane experience is valuable. On top of that, they need to roam more, et cetera, et cetera. But levels are very important. TLDR. Additionally, you have scaling. Now, what makes 80 carries insane and why 80 carries are considered like hyperscaling champions and why you look at 80 carries is that they have triple scaling. They have attack speed, they have AD, and they have crit chance. That means there's three three things that can buff their damage output or multiply their damage output, right? Three multipliers. Most AP champions have two. That's cooldown reduction, which allows them access to their skills more regularly, and that's AP, which increases the amount of damage that their skills do. Azir, unlike many of the champions, has freaking three, because he also scales with attack speed and cooldown reduction, because his abilities do a shit ton of damage. His soldier do a shit ton of damage with skills as attack speed and obviously AP just makes everything do more damage so um yeah I think Azir is absolutely nuts he's safe he has he has his own peel and his own his own control he's like build your perfect hyper carry that's what you're telling me you've got a hyper carry who can roam effectively who can push waves whenever he wants can peel and escape for himself like give Aphelios an Azir wall and just see what happens see how absolutely ludicrous that champion is I think Azir is Super dumb. Anytime he's good, I think he's like 
pretty insane if he can actually get through lane comfortably. I'll push back a little on you. I don't disagree. I think that Azir's utility is, uh, and his especially his laning power, is what really just gets me about that champion. Um, but obviously, like, there's not a ton of attack speed items that also give you AP. He happens to make use of the few that are available to you. The one, yeah. <laughs> so while I don't disagree with the sentiment, it's not like he's pulling out the zeals to, like, get the modifier yeah, on. Yeah, I mean, it's true. It does hurt, though, that um, the cost efficiency of his backs, like, how much power he can get out of really inexpensive backs versus other mages in the mid lane like azir can take any back that he wants he can come back where he's got like daggers now you're like i have to get a lost chapter or i come back with a tome and a crystal he's like yeah it's fine that's the only time you get a cheap back i'm cheap backs for literally ever (laughs) to buy one blasting one in my core build to finish looting listen he's the buy one get one free of mid laners yeah all right so we've got ls standing by so we can hand that into that ls interview wait you already revealed that we did the ls interview before guess Shit. what we're about to talk to ls we're about to talk to ls get ready production magic here we go let's talk to ls all right it's now my distinct pleasure to welcome ls to the show for what is going to be potentially a very convoluted but very enlightening discussion on picks and bands i'm so ready for it ls how's it going it's uh thank you so much for coming man no it's uh it's really good to do this i'm excited to do like collab content between regions so it's really fun it's a generous statement. Collab content collab. between regions. Is that what you consider? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Sorry, I'm just like. Wait, wait. Who are you firing shots at? Are you firing shots at us? Or are you firing? Who are you? That's I'm my firing question. shots at us. Like oh, we yeah. do collab content. We do collab content. Yeah. We're not LS. <laughs> you're hot right now. We're milking you for all your worth, buddy. I, I think we are the one. We're the ones making out like bandits in this transactional relationship here. <laughs> See, so. The trajectory of our guests. We're like mad lions are on the uprise. Quick, get Mac in here. <laughs> People are flaming LS again. Get him on the show. <laughs> We're going to talk about one person built a Morella Nomicon for no reason. Bring LS on. The people, the people need to know. The people need to hear the good word. It's all about the Trinity Force versus Black Cleaver. I went into the math yesterday in that Reddit thread. I was like, Jesus, people have way too much time on their hands right now. <laughs> yeah. Quarantine is an interesting yeah. time for internet arguments. I feel like the people are really empowered. Dracos, I'm not even joking. There was at least three spreadsheets in that single Reddit thread. I was like, what the? <laughs> yeah, it was... And, and none of it was, uh, oh, it, it gets so weird. Um, that, that thread just struck me by complete surprise, to be honest. It, it like, I, I don't know how that came to be. Dracos, really. I can see your confusion, so let me fill you in. I was yeah, combing I through that. Reddit because yes. I knew that I was preparing for my LS episode. And I was like, well, I got to find some spicy Reddit bullshit that I got to bring up here. <laughs> and I see this. It takes it out of uh, context. The comment is like, LS always says that uh, Trinity Force is much better than Black Cleaver on set, and this is why he's wrong, or something like that. And then they go in, and they, we start breaking, like, Cassidy got involved somehow. There was, like, a tr- tr- I clicked on several different yeah, links. That's so funny. Cassidy always finds a way to get involved in this conversation. Someone's actually talking about, like, the movement speed. I'm like, this is really cool math, and I appreciate people who took their time out here, but, like, this is a very strange takedown thread. Went off in very different tangents, so that's what we're talking about. Okay. Well, that's, that's exciting. Yeah. The people of the internet sure are having a good time on this one look my thing is is like if you've got a math major you got to do something with your time because clearly you're not finding employment and apparently reddit takedown threads are are what it's all about coming after ls with the with the hard math first it was leandre morello and now now it's this 
God bless. So it's fine. Okay, so I'll do the introduction because some EU fans might not know who you are because we have a different uh, different audience ratio, possibly. Although I think everyone who watches yeah. this show is probably like a hardcore league fan. Um, obviously, LS, you have your current LCK caster, um, current Twitch streamer. Uh, you have coaching experience. Ruined fanatic. R- ruined fanatic. Ooh, that's good. We'll talk about oh, that too. Damn, I forgot that on the resume. <laughs> Current coach of fanatic. No. Uh, and master player in Korea for multiple years, as well as former StarCraft professional experience in your background. Yes? Did I get everything? I've hit I've hit GM. Oh, you hit GM. Nice. No, Pog. Yeah, Pog. Above, that's in, right. above um, and yeah, beyond. Yeah, uh, for, for card games, um, some people might not know, I invented uh, Handlock in Hearthstone. Um, oh, which shit. is, uh, if anyone plays Hearthstone, they'll know what that means. Um, and I was one of the highest arena players, uh, for a couple months. And then in Magic the Gathering, I qualified for a tour once, but I couldn't go because of my visa. Um, so that kind of sucked. But I have a background in, in card games. Yeah. And Ooh. as well, I was really excited to get you on the show. Um, and Dracos was excited to get you on the show because I really like this idea of talking about theory of, uh, how to maximize playing a game and taking different theories across different games and then applying it to League of Legends, which I feel like encompasses the conversation that you've started. And I talk about this sometimes on my own stream that it feels like casting is kind of going through a um, a phase where it's evolving and people are starting to turn the page because our audience has picked up a certain yes. standard of vocabulary. And a lot of that is yes. being pushed, in my personal opinion, by a lot of the casting that's happening on the LCK, specifically with you. Um, and I think that the LEC is following suit. And then I would say the LCX is kind of following behind that. Um, but that's kind of where I wanted to start there. If you can give a, a broad overview to our audience, but like, cause I'm sure people see your name, but they might not actually watch your content. When you talk about the yeah. perfect draft or the perfect way to play League of Legends, what do you mean when you are defining perfect? Um, I don't. I don't mean perfect by uh, an absolute perfect way to play because obviously, if if I expected uh, one of the terms that gets thrown around ar- uh, a lot, unironically, is that uh, players aren't robots. Um, and the reason that I say that um, it, it's weird when people say that is because they don't understand what I'm saying if they make that comment. Uh, when I when people say like players aren't robots, they're trying to state that whatever I'm saying is overtly complex or it's really difficult or it is too hard for them to do. But on the flip side, if it's ever been executed intentionally once or even multiple times by certain teams, clearly that's not the case. But also, uh, if the aspect of it is that it's reducing variance, diminishing the amount of variables that you have to juggle, doing all these other things while still retaining an edge, that's ideal but like you can't have perfect uh perfection right because players aren't scripters you can't you can't script in the game you don't have robot like mechanics um you can't you know exactly smite 100 percent of the time which i guess comes into mechanics yada, yada yada i understand all of this so when it comes to like drafting or playing much i i view the game much like a, an rts player would and i think that this is where like a lot of the arguments and stuff with me in particular comes into play where a lot of players view the game through the scope of individual lanes or individual champions, how they pertain to the game. Whereas an RTS player would look at it and be like, okay, what is in the best interest of the overall goal using these five pieces? And how do we make it the most advantageous with each decision? And obviously, sometimes that's going to cause certain things to happen that maybe that player, or that lane or that champion might not like, but it's in the best interest of the, the, the greater good. 
Um, and I think that it's always just about gravitating towards uh, the, the lower variance, the you know higher insurance policies, the the higher percentage edge. I'm not saying that you have to be a hundred and zero, but if you know if you could be eighty five percent instead of eighty percent, you should want to do that and you should strive towards it. Does that make you predisposition to a team like I'm going to bring up the word that everyone hates, Origin? Wow, that everyone hates <laughs> strong. I don't know how much, and also, Wait, why I, does everyone? <laughs> Frosk's projecting right now, but like Origin is the is the quintessential. I guess you would describe them as like the classic LCK style, the old school LCK style, well, where they, it's like low variance, yeah. high percentage plays, not a lot of um, yeah, like not a lot of big risk taking, not a lot of picking champions that are let's say uh, volatile. And I also don't want to put you yeah. in a position where, because I don't know how much um, time you get to actually invest like studying LEC, because it's obviously, at least I find it's different, like watching a region versus studying a region. So if you don't feel comfortable, yeah. like I'm not trying to put you on the spot. It's like We can find an equivalent example in the LCK. <laughs> we don't want to just like be like, hey, Origin fans, you want some pitchforks and torches? Like here they are, go get LS. Take down. <laughs> <laughs> I did the math and on now, Tell us what you think about G2. Oh, that's great. Okay, those fans <laughs> will flame you too and Fnatic got them. All right. But yeah, but OG's a good example. Like, do you do you feel like that makes I think to what Frost is saying? Do you feel like you um, appreciate teams more or value teams more that do kind of fit into that draft philosophy that you have? I uh, I recognize it uh, if teams do it or if they don't. I I've been talking about this a lot in like a lot of the co streams because now I'm co streaming LCS and LCK and then I do the live viewing for LEC and I've only missed one week um, I think in uh, this whole split uh, so. When, when teams do that kind of drafting, regardless of if they win or lose, I care about uh, the practicality of the draft. I care about how likely is it, assuming even level of play at high level of play, so two, two very high level teams, if they're both even, what is more likely to occur and can we reach that answer? And I think that a lot of people take things that I say as very, very black and white when the reality is, is that when I make the comment, it's formed uh, on the basis of a lot of gray, and it ends up coming out black and white in order to save time. And for people that care about the gray, we can talk about it, but it's often not worth talking about because to talk about it in the first place requires an explanation of the foundation in the beginning. And that can be very, very long, and it makes things very convoluted and it makes things very drawn out and very long. And I think that's where like a lot of the controversy and polarizing stuff around me comes in and like the last couple of months about like draft and items and all this other stuff is because I view uh, LOL as like a giant chessboard um, and that each situation, while it might be very similar, has its own unique answers. And it's about putting the formula into those situations and then asking how practical is it given you know, the assumed level of play. So Does that do, make sense? Yeah. yeah. So do you feel like, um, okay. so I'm just, I'm always going to try to put this back into like uh, EU terms for the EU audience. So yeah. if we have a team like Origin, which kind of more so fits into that uh, low variance, you know, high assured call, like we always talk about it in the yeah. general throwaway terms, of like it's a hundred percent call versus like a 50, like bullshit like that. Um, but yep. versus a team, sorry, Dracos, I know I'm, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to get an angry email. But comparatively to a team like G2 or Fnatic, which play a much higher variance, it almost feels like they'll be willing to take more yep. 50-50s. Do you think then it's just the skill discrepancy between the players of why these teams 
who sit on top for so long, but don't necessarily conform to that theory that you feel is kind of the best theory to approach the game with, but find a lot of success. I also feel like that's where the audience always tries to like get you a moment type of moment. Like, you know, Ella said this, but if you look at G2, they don't play like that and they always win. Is it just that the G2 players are outplaying their opponents? That skill discrepancy overcompensates the theory that maybe they ignore or listen to. Yeah, I, I, I think that if we look at other esports um, and other games, you can see similar things like this, where better players can just use higher variant strategies or much more like micro intensive if we're talking about an RTS and they can just overwhelm their opponent because they're much better uh, mechanically. They're much better cohesively and the team compositions won't come to fruition. So what I like to cite is worlds or international events or finals. In which case, um, a lot of people, they'll talk about like LPL aggressive style and stuff. Well, at MSC, a lot of people know that I do post-draft prediction and I do pre-draft when there's like an event. And my post-draft and pre-draft, even at MSC, was very different because I had LPL teams over LCK teams post-draft the majority of times. So a lot of people will reference like LPL just beating LCK recently. And it's like, well, actually, look at the drafts. Um, look at World's Finals, um, because FPX, I would say, relative to G2 in that finals, uh, had more scaling, except for the final game. Um, I think T1 versus G2, you look at the T1 games, and that was T1 getting very big advantages with very sinful champions and being unable to close, and G2's champions come online. I remember Dom won. I predicted them to lose to the wildcard team uh, post-draft, which, I mean, I... You know, I I mean, I just being a contrarian or something, I I don't know, Um, which made me start doing the the post-draft pick ban sheets uh, that I that I did in Worlds and uh, Spring for LCK and Worlds. But I think for G2 and Fnatic, circling it back, they would the thing that's so strange to me is and I've had this discussion with many EU players over the last couple of months because I've done so much content on stream with various pros. Um, and like conversations and whatnot. A lot of players in LOL only know LOL. They don't know other games. So if you were to go to an island and the island has never seen a plane and then you ask them to envision a plane, they can't really think of it. Like maybe maybe they can imagine it, but they, they can't know how it's like formed and what really operates and whatnot. Um, it would be like uh, something that is, is just unfathomable at a certain point in time. Like maybe you go back to 1950 and you talk about modern day cell phones. Um, it, it would just probably be un, unfathomable for people of that era. I think that in StarCraft and WarCraft and Go and Chess and Magic the Gathering and stuff, because I had this talk with uh, PBDDR, the Magic World Champion, um, on stream. And I've had this talk with many Magic pros on stream that are... Um, some of them are actually like reasonably high MMR in, in League of Legends, and they say like teams don't get what's going on um, in in drafting because League of Legends information is face up. It, there's no conceal. There, there's nothing concealed like in a trading card game. And so when everything's face up, you you know what options are possible and like what's coming, what variations are possible, and you you know where they're trying to go with certain team comps, and you know items are coming in and all this other stuff. So. When it comes to draft, if you're the better team, what you learn by playing tournaments long enough and having an, an extremely long career is that you want more and more to reduce variance because you, you want to confide in your own skill. You want to let your skill take over the game, not 
variants. So if you can add weights that allow you to simultaneously outscale your opponent and beat them in lane, why not do that? Why why flip coins or why allow your opponents more breathing room than they should otherwise have for simply no reason? I just want to and, push in uh, for a yeah. second here. Alex. Sorry, that was, yeah. No, no, no. Um, just because I, I want to... And it, it will probably sound very obvious to you, but what I really want to do is kind of break down some of the language because a lot of times um, we use different definitions for different words. And I just want to attach yeah. a word like variance specifically to League of Legends because it sounds like you're talking a lot about when conditions would fit into this. So if you uh, are a highly skilled team and you play long enough, you should know that a team or a champion's win condition is like this champion strong on one item or two items. And then this composition is strong at two items or around these types of fights yes. and the variance would then be if you if you are a professional player and you look at the enemy team's comp you recognize where the win conditions for your individual matchup are where the win conditions are for the 5v5 where the win conditions are for what dra dragon is coming up or you know how things are changing then the variance would be okay i see that my win condition is coming up i have built an item for the next fight that's going to happen at 10 minutes versus the item that or the fight that's coming up in 10 minutes and not building an item that yep. isn't going to be available then and flipping there saying like taking a bad dragon fight that would be variance to you because you are fighting outside of your win condition if yes. your composition is weak there well in this case are you yes. referring mostly to like draft variance because i know that center champions are what you call them but the champions who kind of um yep. need things to happen in a way for them specifically to be powerful champions like lee center elise i was gonna say to are you talking about olaf olaf <laughs> champion who without a lead uh, is essentially yeah. irrelevant but champions oh. who rely on getting an advantage that is not like a guaranteed advantage yeah so variance i think has uh two ways that you can use it i think the way that frosk is uh defining it is also a thing where um, the analogy that I like to use, and uh, feel free to say if it's not like viewer friendly, <laughs> um, is that you put a person analogy. in a chair, <laughs> and yeah, you put a person in a chair, and you basically play Russian roulette with them with a gun. Okay. And you tell them that As opposed there's to a door and it's open. Hand. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. There's, there's a, door. a door and it's open, and seventy percent the you know i will fire the gun and it will misfire and you can walk out the door and then you tell the person wait five minutes and the percent goes up to 80 and then wait five more minutes and it goes up to 90. obviously in that scenario they would wait they would they would wait every day of the week if if their life depends on it but for some reason in league of legends teams will push a mid-tier one for 500 gold 250 of which is dispersed amongst like four members and they'll take a team fight when they're two and a half minutes away, factoring in like assumed gold per minute, all their jungle camps are up from like an item completion that will be that will create a more advantageous fight. That stuff's just mind blowing to me. It just doesn't make any sense because if it was real life. They would never do it. If you go into that VOD review spot and you ask them to justify their push and then ask them to play devil's advocate from the opponent's side, they would conclude that this is the most favorable timing for the opponent and the least favorable for them. Something, and so stuff like that is variance. Something that I always that really, yeah, yeah, it totally makes sense. Something that I always really respected watching the LPL teams um, 
because I always feel that casters are really trained by the regions that they specifically watch. Um, I think I always uh, quote the the NAR thing back in 2015 that the Eastern teams were really playing a lot of NAR top, whereas the Western teams didn't really play NAR. And so the casters came into that uh, MSI and they're like, NAR is a trash champion. And then the Eastern teams continued to like beat them down with NAR. And the casters are like, oh shit, this is how this champion actually works. But uh, for me, the LPL teams were always so, at least the top end LPL teams, were always so good at recognizing yep. their item power spikes and it without fail you could always like very quickly as a caster you look at the scoreboard you see an item come you're like there's about to be a team fight because they've just completed that item and if i know the lpl team so like i'm really powerful right now and so people would be like oh the teams are just really aggressive they just fight all the time it's like no 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 they don't fight without some of them fight without purpose but the top end teams of the lpl don't fight without purpose they always fight on their item break points it's not a 50 50 they know that they're stronger than you because they have better battle stats and that's all they do that's like the secret to it people like Oh, they play aggressive. They yep. attack you in the setup. It's like you're overthinking it sometimes. They got it. <laughs> it's shiny and they want to use it. You've gotten new clothes before. You put on a new outfit. You've wanted to show off. That's all LPL teams are doing. They're peacocking. They're just very good at it. Uh, so, I mean, so to me, it just sounds like a lot of the the kind of philosophy that we're putting forward here is that there is just, or we're seeing a lot of failure and it feels like a lot of failure to just recognize game state, draft state, win conditions yes. and that's where a lot of these issues stem from right so frostgren you're bringing up itemization ls yeah. you're talking about um kind of in-game decision making just generally around what objectives are important the, the very <laughs> apt and uh, poignant russian roulette album or uh, reference which feels admittedly yeah. a bit extreme but does make sense but to me can you imagine if a team like if a coach had a gun behind the players it was just like take that dragon fight right now dare you <laughs> I <laughs> probably wouldn't do it. They'd be like, my composition doesn't come online for, you know, another 1,200 gold. I should sit this one out. And so they're like, it's Infernal, though, coach. Yeah, so why yeah, Why do you that, think it's... That, stuff like that happens all the time. Why do you think it's so easy for us to sit here and call this out, but, like, so difficult for teams to make this happen? I is think it, it's a shot-calling issue. Shot-calling? Is it, like, poor coaching? Is it, like... And not to name... You don't have to throw anyone under the bus, right? But, like, yeah. why is this continuing to happen? Because League of Legends has been around forever, Can and I it's not my, like they're my new theory problems first? here. Sure. And, uh, Alice, yeah. let me know what you think. So I think is that... Um, I listen to a lot of team comms and teams, very few teams actually talk about these things or even reference what the enemy team wants to do. And uh, to mm-hmm. use LS's phrase, when information is all face up, like you see the other team's composition, you should know what those champions you sh- should do. Everyone should understand what the build paths are going to be. So when the champions are going to be strong, like you theoretically know what everything's going to happen. But if you're not constantly reminding yourself about it, you just sometimes forget. They sometimes, the players just autopilot and they yep. do stupid things. And then also League has kind of evolved into this autopilot mode, especially in solo queue, where it's like very formula based, where it's, okay, what's the next tower up? Take tower, take tower. And they don't think about, as in reference to what happened in, I think it was the KT game, where if you take that tower and then you have the wave frozen on the other side and then you can't do anything. And then you're suddenly in a situation where if that tower was still up, we would have more available gold closer to us because we'd be able to reach it like this is what happens it's just no one is actually talking about it so you have to train them to talk about it yes and the kt game is so interesting because i remember having a conversation with a pro player uh who i won't name immediately after the game and they stressed that it's obvious that like so the the turret that they're trying to get is 500 gold right but in in the same light or on the on the same spectrum they will not freeze waves to deny gold and create a, a larger 
you know, net difference in gold. But then also there was like a LeBlanc clone that they could have just killed, which is 25 gold. And they just let it walk away, right, for free. So these, it, it seems really small. It seems like a grain of sand, but it's not. Because there are players that are thirsty for every little edge. That like they, they, they want to get every little edge. But when it comes into uh, five players, I think that like what Frost Curran, you're talking about with the listening to the team comms and very little people are talking about it and all these other things. Not only is it in, in my experience from like listening in, talking to so many people, it's not just that they're not talking about it. It's that they're not aware, which is an even bigger problem. So I made a tweet after the the KT series that when I'm watching teams, all that matters to me is the intent because the intent tells you what they're actually practicing, not the end result. Mm. So when you're seeing, so this is where I hold a lot of problems with like DRX, for instance, because the intent in DRX is that they are just trying to brute force everything. And so there's very little cerebral new innovation and approach happening in all of DRX's games, which means that come worlds or come international events or whatever, DRX is just DRX from the LCK. There's there's no special thing, but they're also just gliding. They're not really improving. When they um, run into a team that can match them in their fights, then right. suddenly they'll be at in, in power. Yes. So th they're going to be in a, a really big problem. And the issue for coaching this is like, okay, well, any challenger player can be brought into the coaching staff room, see a poorly done team fight and point it out. Like that's any anyone can do that. Um, most people could probably predict the exact points games went wrong if like they're moderately good at League of Legends or they they moderate you know they they do a moderate amount of like analysis or observation, etc. The problem therein lies is that a lot of people only observe, they don't analyze. They don't look at the foundation that's leading to the problem and then understand the makeup and then explain the makeup so that the players can understand how to reach that conclusion or how to avoid it. And I think that's like that's the next step, and it's very, very, very hard um, because you have to be able to argue with like all five players, do you like think, on whatever counterpoints they're going to give. Then let's put it in like a uh, like a theoretical space where you get a team. Yeah. If you were to try to solve this problem, are you then sitting down with like each player and being like, okay, the issue here is that you guys needed X amount of gold to get this item. Why didn't you just wait for it by doing X, Y, and Z? versus running into fight because it's usually over a, a fight that people pick sometimes it yes. can be you know yeah. pushing waves back and forth or anything like that is it just going on like these small things where you're just taking each player and just constantly drilling into them like would you start with items would you start with like where how would you attack this problem if you, if you were the coach of the team i um so that one's really interesting because items uh it, it dawned on me uh recently uh, that items and a lot of these thought processes, I feel like they should actually almost just have a class, if that makes sense. Because it, um, it just feels like even though some people get itemization right, I think they don't know why it's right. Mm. It, it, like they're just sort of like copying, but it happens to be right. And I think that causes problems when new items come out or different build variations or, you know, uh, just I mean, new champions come out and like you're trying to figure out how to itemize them. But about approaching this, if like you're coaching the players, you have to play devil's advocate. You have to make them justify their decision. And then ideally, you make them justify it for the opponents. And somewhere in between lies the truth, unless they're being very disingenuous. 
And if you guys can't agree, then you try to simulate it. And I think that the best instances where you can recreate this, and it's where I'm the biggest fan of, is laning phase. Because everything that happens in laning phase can be extracted and applied to other aspects of the game. Like, the entire game can actually be condensed into laning. And then bits and pieces of it are pulled out and extrapolated and applied to other aspects of the game. And it's the same thought process. Well, and I like that too, because I think that that's like the one thing that I feel like I can rely on pro players for without a doubt, right? Is I trust that every high ELO pro player that's like got a brain that has made their way into LEC can tell me when they're stronger than their specific matchup. Can they tell me the comp? Like, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. It depends. Like a guy like Whipple obviously thinks a lot about the game from talking to him. And there's a lot of players who just kind of play the game more or so. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that obviously not great but um just how a lot of people are so i like that you're starting there like kind of foundationally because players for me more often than not play on feel um you know you talk yes. about, i talk about <laughs> item spikes they don't know that their loot and echo gives them enough damage to one shot that guy they know it because or like because of the math they know it because they played cinder 150 times yep. and when that guy was level seven right. they've one shot and they've just been in that situation it's like it's uh it's not deliberate learning it's it's unconscious learning right um yes. which i think is yeah is, that's really good it's cool but it's also it's it's not ideal because now you're not really controlling the outcomes you are learning and solo queue isn't always the best information and the best sample size because you're like oh wow i one shot lee sin like every time in this scenario this is so easy but then it's like okay yeah but that lee sin was building yeah. full ad in your freaking solo queue game and this guy's smart enough to buy a ga right. so you don't mm-hmm. actually one shot him anymore right. in terms yeah. of uh, uh it's, it's yeah oh no sorry um, I was just going to kind of move us along into, in, in terms of if a European viewer is watching LEC and they want to understand, you know, who won or lost a draft or what a, a good draft looks like or what like an excellent draft is, like what would you say are kind of like the takeaway bullet points? Like what are things that you're looking for? I've, I've heard you use, you know, the magic color scheme. I've heard you use different like analogies, but is there like a... Yeah. You must have a tank. You must have a X number of DPS. You want to have this type of damage portfolio. Like, what are the bullet points that you would go down? So, I think for team comps, it gets really weird. So, first, the thing that you do is you view all the matchups in isolation. And then you apply the how practical is it that these matchups play out this way, assuming these level of players. Because sometimes it lets you go against the draft. If you have, like, I'm going to use an LK, uh, LCK example. If you have Nuggery versus QV, a matchup being disadvantageous, Nuggery still probably will win um, or, or something like that. You can um, tell his disdain by how he so... says the names. <laughs> <laughs> you can always tell the caster is upset when they're just like, yeah, it's Alfari versus Finn. Who do you think's going to win? This isn't a winning matchup. It's just a better player. You're, this is bad information. Yeah. Don't do this. Yeah. So I think it starts there, and then you have to ask yourselves, well, what do these item breakpoints even mean? Because one of the conversations I had on Twitter recently was obviously about a Trinity Force Black Cleaver. And I think it goes back to what Dracos was just talking about, about like players don't realize why they're building the items. Because often the argument I hear is that the, uh, the, it, you can get it sooner. You can, you can buy it sooner. And then, well, now you have to justify buying it sooner, but... Is your champion that gets that black cleaver aligned with the mid laner who is on Sheen Phage Dagger and waiting for his Trinity Force? Because he doesn't want to fight yet, which means that you can't fight yet because he doesn't want to fight yet. Or, you know, the, the 80 carries waiting on Miramana. And if the 80 carries waiting two minutes until Miramana and you just completed your second core item and the dragon's coming up, well, you can't take the team fight if it's high variance, which means that your item wasn't important. And I think that these things aren't talked about enough. 
So when I look at a draft in LCK or LEC or LCS, when I'm doing, you know, all those stuff, I try to size up how practical is it that these situations will unfold in the game from laning phase to jungle paths to recall timers. What are the first recalls like? What does that do for certain champions? For instance, cheater recalls um, is something that uh, I came up with the, the term with because I wasn't seeing anyone do them. Sometimes they would do them unintentionally, but there's a difference between doing it intentionally versus randomly doing it, mm. um, doing it without intent. Because when you do it intentionally, it means that you're aware of why you're doing it, you're manipulating it, and you can utilize it to great effect, and then you can apply it to other aspects of the game because it's just it's a concept. It's not like a, a thing. So, for instance, like Aphilios. Um, Ash versus Aphilios. Ash has better recalls on 900 and 1100 gold, which means that somewhere between waves you know five through nine or five through eight five through nine whatever ash can intentionally take aggressive trades against affilios to induce a earlier recall and if she does that it's more beneficial for her because the gold is better for her hmm. um cheetah recalls early on uh the concept about like getting the call getting the, the the potion for free and coming back to an advantageous lane state it lines up with feigning the jungler um and fading the jungler yeah and things like this so all of these things I think have to go into the draft. What does one item mean? What does two item mean? Third dragon is the mini game for me. First two dragons don't necessarily matter. The team comps have to be viewed by third dragon because the Olaf mini game is that Olaf teams generally get first and second Drake, mm -hmm. uh, or they should generally get first and second Drake. But the scaling team, which scaling is a pretty misunderstood term. It just means relative to the opponent. It doesn't mean that you're weak. It doesn't mean that you lose lane. Generally comes online by third Drake. And that's the minigame, because if the Olaf team loses the third Drake, the scaling team gets five more minutes. And five more minutes often means very close to third item and has like utility item at that point. Their base levels are coming online. They're getting very close to second skill max point, um, things like that, uh, things of that nature. Armor's going up, base HP because levels. That's very problematic for the, the, the sinful team. Um, and so those five minutes are very big because of what it implies. Mm. Yeah, this was long-winded, but yeah. no, no, no. that's what's going so into the draft. I just kind of, I, to take away, to keep it simple, and once again, making this black and white so that people can easily understand it, and yeah, yeah. admittedly, potentially opening it up for more criticism as a result. Um, so first off, yeah. individual lane matchups, how they factor in, and then team yes. synergy viewed through the lens of, in this case, more, more often than not, specifically itemization. Are you strong at the same time? How, do your strengths interlock well, let's say? Um, which and are, go ahead go sorry no I was gonna say and the oh, third okay. thing you talked uh, about was the are third are there dragon. goals in mine okay uh, so like if if you have Ezreal sorry go ahead no go finish, go, go, go go sorry <laughs> okay, there's like okay. a slight delay you just so, go, go. No, we, yeah okay sorry sorry latency latency for, uh, for <laughs> um, okay so if you if you have if you have Jarvan and you have Atrox and you have a, a mid laner like I don't know, a, a Kali, right? And then you have an 80 carry like Ezreal. Mm -hmm. And the enemy team just has all protect. They just have, you know, mid range. Uh, they have like Oriana or uh, anything that just protects their 80 carry and they have a hyper. Yep. Uh, like Aphilios. Aphilios plus a so bunch of So you have three, like. Got the Karma, yeah, the Oriana. <laughs> right. So even though Atrox and Akali and Jarvan are in synergy with one another, Relative to the Aphilios, they're doomed. They're, they're they're set up for failure because the the margin of error, the forgiveness that those champions have against Aphilios is not there. 
So Aphelios is over there and he is so excited. His eyes light up when he sees these champions. And he's like, yes, please try to come into me. And so this is one of the big problems about Aphelios, why I've been very like outspoken about he's not imbalanced. He doesn't need to get nerfed and all these other things. And I referenced like the Dynamics uh, game versus T1 yesterday was very good. Um, so those champions are fine. And then it's like, what is Ezreal doing? He's like picking off the Stranglers. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Or you'll have games where you have an Ezreal with a LeBlanc in mid lane, and then you have an Orn in top lane, and Orn's asking himself, why do I have a LeBlanc on my team? Or And then Orn's asking, like, why do I have an Olaf that is building Cinder Hulk and doesn't get Obsidian Cleaver or something? And it's just like, so many things are off. And like, the champions in a vacuum can be strong, but they hate each other. And not only do they hate each other, they might not line up against the enemy team comp. I, yeah, yeah. I don't... I don't, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't disagree with any yeah. of this. I guess... Um, Hmm. When watching games, because the thing is, is I agree with everything that you're saying, but when watching games, I often mm -hmm. feel that the flaw has very little to do, depending on what region I'm watching, has very little to do with if Orn can itemize for his Olaf or not versus individual players making poor choices yes. and then making poor choices together. So... Uh, it's hard for me because like as a my approach when I come into casting a game or uh, even trying to break down a, a game, I'm like trying to yep. think about what the players are seeing and what they're not necessarily what the perfect game is, but kind of like what they want to do or where they might be individually making the choices that they're making. And I'm just like, yep. the conversation is important, but I also feel like it almost has nothing to do with so many losses because so much of the game isn't played anywhere near to the level that it needs to for those things to matter. So what do you say to that? I think, um, so I would agree with you, like Orn's not going to lose the game because he can't itemize for Olaf, but I think the intention of pairing them together suggests like a, a bigger problem. Um, and I think that that intent is where a lot of problems can lie inside of the draft phase where they think that they're trying to do something and it might not stack up against the opposing team comp. So it's like the uh, symptom. Well. The Orn Olaf is the symptom it, it, right. of the disease and the disease is still the brain yes, yes, problem yes. of thinking yes. they work together. Yes. <laughs> right. And what I, yeah. So um, one, one of the uh, things that I'll, I'll say is like, you know, teams are bleeding out and they don't have the medication or something to coagulate the blood. And so rather than, you know, just waiting and hoping, they need to just like tie it off to, to stop the bleeding. And they often can't. And so a lot of drafts and, and team comps, I agree with you. There's a lot of instances where the draft ends up not mattering between two teams. But I think we're at a point in time where draft is super important because of what is practical um, in, in terms of what we can assume to happen as league keeps evolving, like at certain game stages and, and break points. Um, and I, I, I say that over the scope of like, if these two teams played this, these two comps over, you know, dozens and dozens of games, how likely would these events unfold? Um, and I, I know that's like sort of an extreme example. But for instance, I guess a, a, an easier one that I would like to, to, to use to attack, which is probably very popular right now, is B1 Affilios. I think B1 Affilios sets you up for failure if you have two high-level teams Hard playing against one another and they both know how to draft. So, because you, you open Aphelios B1, opponent responds R1, R2, uh, Karma, Ezreal. Well, now Aphelios is already under pressure because Karma can go three lane, she can go top, she can go mid, she can go support. Sometimes she can even go AD carry, but Ezreal's present. 
So now Aphelios has to respond to Ezreal Karma, but Ezreal Karma make up the exact identity and theme that Aphelios hates. So now Aphelios is like, okay, I need some, I need some help. So he brings in some help to go against Ezreal and Karma. So he brings in whatever on B2, B3. But oftentimes, teams already aren't thinking like this. They're not thinking Ezreal Karma makes Aphelios' life hell. They're not thinking that that red team already has two champions that hurt my conditional hypercarry, and they can still keep picking in response to what I'm going to pick to try to answer what they're doing. And they just what ends up happening is Aphelios gets neutered. Yes, they, they just go with a strong blind pick. So maybe they try to get something to help Aphelios. Maybe they pick Orn, right? They pick Orn, and then they pick something Azir. like Olaf. Or Azir, okay. So they pick Orn and Azir. So now Azir doesn't want to be forced to go in, but Orn's now th- saying that he has to go in too, sort of, because otherwise, what is Aphelios doing? He's just sort of like dead weight. Why, why do you have a random conditional hypercarry sitting back if you're going to play through the lens of Azir summoning sand soldiers and trying to poke. But Ezreal's outranging Azir. So there's still a fundamental problem there. But now you've shifted the team composition to where Azir is forced into one mode, Orn is forced into one mode, and it's all Aphelios' fault. And so now the red team, when it's handed back over the draft to them on R3, they know, okay, team comp has to come into us. They're short range. Aphelios is making Azir and Orn very sad pandas. And it doesn't matter that they're scaling, we can scale better relative to them by attacking the areas that they're weak and where they're compromised because of Aphelios. And then they could just slam like R3 Corky. And now they have like the concave, they have the lo- they have even longer range. And Aphelios is like, man, I really hate my life right now. Like, how do I play this game? How do I deal damage? And then R4 Kindred. And it's like, well, Orn just wants to quit the game. And so th- things are constantly happening and then Aphelios now has to blind his support and Karma can still just go top lane and it, it gets very awkward um, so then Aphelios' support has to respect it they have to pick a jungler and they can try to get edges but inevitably that end game will approach where Aphelios is not doing what he wants to do because he just simply can't because the opponents are too long range they have too much mobility etc and then Azir and Orn are looking at him and it's like it's all your fault like, the, you know, they're forced in, like, you know. Like, Dad shows up fault. and he's like, I had so many expectations for you, son. Everyone talks about this 200 memes bullshit. You just, you can't even hit anyone. <laughs> yeah. You were supposed to be the chosen one. We you, you can't first. even get in range. You know, you were the firstborn son. You were supposed to everything. All the expectations were on yeah. your shoulder. So, uh, LS, yes. just kind of... Um, wrapping up here you're wrapping up i was about to ask yeah. him about fanatic you're ra- oh yeah well I'll, okay let's wrap up with fanatic then okay that's the perfect wrap up ls we gotta know have you secretly been puppet mastering all of fanatic so um obviously i this is a much longer to, answer I, than no yeah. <laughs> yes so no well i i want to address this because it actually it bothers me when i get uh toxic people coming into my chat and like toxic people on Twitter that actually think that like I ruined Fnatic. If you watch Fnatic's games and you compare their gameplay and their draft approaches to the philosophy that I just go on tirades about on Twitter and on my streams, it is the absence of me. So <laughs> there is no chance in hell that I have had any like things going on there. But also um, from when scrims resumed for LEC at the very end of May until basically the end of June, I didn't talk to any of the Fnatic players. 
that this was very public. I mean, Nemesis even commented on it on, on stream. I was very active talking to them in the offseason and stuff. But again, look at their drafts. Look at their gameplay. It, it's it's birthed in hell. I mean, it's, uh, it's definitely... <laughs> the it's child comes in from school, opens up like their their paint of butterfly and holds up to Alice. He's like, look what I made for you, Dad. He's like... This is not my child. What was you- <laughs> <laughs> a book on Renaissance art and good paint strokes and these oil paints? You come back with this finger paint bullshit. I don't want to see it. Takes the ah, finger paint. It's Morello. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's oh man. First paint graves again. <laughs> so the 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 insane thing is, Fnatic has all insane players. They're really really good, but when you watch their play. And when I when I talk about Fnatic, uh, because I was privy to so much, I, I kind of view it like I'm under an NDA. But you can watch their play and tell they all have different ideas of what's going on. They are not in harmony. They are not a team. They are five very high level players in a game together. That that's what's happening. That's just how it is. And you can tell that players are they're they're viewing times in the game extremely differently than one another and then others are getting dragged along and they're almost looking uncharacteristic with like their decision making um sometimes and that, it's, it's just a very sad thing and i yeah i i, I can't i guess i can't say much no more, that's that's fine well, i don't want you to yeah uh, it's sad it's it's true i appreciate that you're so diligent because obviously yeah one of the nice things about being a figure in esport is that pro players and pro teams will give you a lot of privileged information and obviously the the other side of that sword is that you they have trust to be, you is that they trust you so yeah, <laughs> yeah i i agree and it has look i think frost we talked about this um earlier actually about how Fnatic look a little bit disjointed um, a little bit disjointed a little bit but we'll we'll leave it at that uh Alice, thank you so much for for coming on and taking the time to talk to us today uh, about draft. This was super, super interesting. Uh, maybe we have you back at the end of the season or before Worlds, or we come on yep. Pog State if such a thing is possible. We can trade back and forth here. Oh wait, you, Alice, this is now your chance to plug everything, and I know you have a lot to plug. So plug. please do it right now. You, you've earned it. Please give us a, a one minute sellout speech, right. whatever you uh, want. Yeah. So twenty um or which one? I, I I co stream uh LCK LCS I live view LEC uh, every week uh I cast Wednesday through Friday LCK and then on Friday Saturday Sunday Monday I'm doing the co streaming and stuff so you guys can watch me there I also do content with like pro players sometimes on stream and for thirty one hundred gold you can buy Leandres and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, Twitch Prime. <laughs> Tired of having casters lie to you? Is it, it twitch.tv slash ls? What is it? It's I'm ls. I'm ls. There you go. Yeah, twitch.tv slash I'm ls. I, they won't give me ls. That's very sad. Twitch will bring that up. Very sad. I actually yeah. have no power to say that. I don't know why I'm saying like I have any influence over Twitch. Twitch, give him the give him LS. He's earned it. He's working seven days a week. The man's yeah. unstoppable. Crown Shot's been on your stream. Nemesis has been on your stream. We'll see who else joins in the future. Uh, super good stuff. But yeah, thanks again, LS, for joining us. Thank you for the conversation and uh, good luck with your very hectic schedule. Thanks. So love talking to LS. I feel like there's so much information there and there's and so much, but it's also I think so hard to have those conversations if you don't know a lot already about league of legends still <laughs> and i think i like really appreciate you breaking some of this stuff down i think a lot of things were broken down i really hope people could follow along but also like you just I, there's so much going on there if you're like a newcomer to esports if you're really passionate about esports but not necessarily about like the analysis portion of the game there's a lot there but super super interesting yeah when he was talking about um you know, the trade patterns and the buy patterns of champ. I think he used Ophelios versus Ash. And, yeah. you know, you were like, 
I'm quickly doing the math. I'm like, okay, yeah, because his back's going to be a BF sword. Yeah, her back can be a, she can go for a coal or, or whatever. Or not a yeah. coal, yeah. The uh, Bork or Long the yeah. um, Essence Reaver, depending on how she wants to itemize. And like, you know, I'm very quickly having to do all of that to like catch up. And I'm like, are I just, uh, frankly, I don't necessarily really know where the vocabulary is for our audience yet. If they can just as quickly follow that to make yeah. all of those, or if they're able to, and I, that's the real question for me. I do feel very strongly that we're going through like a transitionary period where our audience has reached a certain level now. And now we, it's our responsibility to kind of turn the next page and start bringing up these conversations. But then as LS was also talking about, you know, it's really hard to have those conversations live on air sometimes because you have to be so much faster. You can't take the time to be like, because of this and this and this and this. And uh, I think that's kind of, at least for me, the next um, frontier is like finding the language there to shorthand everything so that you can have those really needed conversations, but in a very digestible way on the fly. Yeah, and maybe just let us know in feedback, like what really clicked for you, what maybe didn't make as much sense to you, and we can adjust in the future. Because these are really things that I think are super fascinating that I get really fired up about talking about, but I'm always nervous as to like, how deep do we go? Because terminology is always dangerous because you don't know who's there. And regardless, it's it also was super fascinating. The different level of game. Like I remember last uh, split when we sat down with Reckless. I think it was the week that Machine was there. And it was the G2 versus Fnatic game. Mm. And Reckless said something to the extent of like, you know, we played a wave wrong. Or we played two waves wrong. And that was basically the game. Um, and, you know, at that level having that detailed conversation probably is really important because it, it does mean a lot to like when the teams are playing that well or that in form. But again, I kind of go back to my other comments where a lot of teams are really playing very well right now. And sometimes those conversations, while very interesting and still important, aren't necessarily the most important conversations to be having on that broadcast because yeah. them misplaying that back timer isn't capitalized on by either team. When your team. <laughs> player's down 40 CS in any matchup, you have bigger problems than picking them the right matchup, right? And I think that's really fair. I think the thing that I like about that, and I think that I hope that people took away, is that like there's a lot of information in League of Legends that is free, that you don't have to contest for, that's pick bans, that's how a lane matchup should play out. And of course, there's always going to be new picks in draft that throw a spanner in the works. There's going to be new ways to play a champion that people will not be prepared for. But for the most part, there's a ton of information that's available. Of course, in the game, there's Fog of War. It's much more complicated. It's much more poker-esque as opposed to, you know, all the face-up cards, right, to a certain degree. But I think that we're the, the hope is, is that in the future, as we get more advanced, as coaching staffs get better, that people take more advantage of the information that is freely available in any pick ban, in any game, in any matchup, all the stuff, and, and recognize it and respect it and act on it um, rather than... I guess, ignore it. And I think the the one last thing that I really want to put on that I see a lot of people kind of leverage at LS, and it was almost a throwaway comment from him, but just to like really underline it is just because you're a scaling composition, because again, we have so many different definitions of certain words that people hear scaling. And some of our audience do only think that scaling means late game, that you, you don't have any sort of lane dominance. And that's not true. Azir as a champion exists. He has amazing scaling and he's super powerful in lane is just kind of like an easy throwaway to that answer. Um, and I think that's what's also really important that it's about finding the balance that there's enough champions right now that are in a powerful state where they have really strong lanes or they can have winning lane matchups um, and they also scale into late game. So just because someone talks about um, 
building a composition that has scaling options doesn't mean that you completely sack your early game. Because I always see this like black and white of, you know, if you give away the early game, then X team does, you know, this, this, that, and that, and then you can't come back. And it's like, well, no, just because you have a scaling comp doesn't mean you don't have any way to fight into the early game. doesn't mean that there's no way that you can find trades if it doesn't have to be team fights. It could be trading for lane pressure or trading for gold on the, the towers, in the lanes, in the jungle, all of these things. I think the lesson for the day is that context is supremely important and that it is not black and white, that there is a ton of gray area, but that for the sake of 280 characters, for the sake of simple concepts and teaching people, often it's easier to make it black and white. So don't be afraid to look deeper if you're at home, ask questions, is he scaling? Maybe you wouldn't consider it normally, but if the enemy champion's only playing Lee Sin, well, by comparison, he scales pretty well. And these are the kind of questions maybe you can ask yourself when you're doing analysis or you're watching games, or you're trying to appreciate what's going on in very high level League of Legends. Regardless, that's gonna do it for us here. The LEC is gonna be returning for the second half of the split, kicking off at 5.30 CEST, I believe, with Ready Check. SK versus Schalke starting at six. So that one is gonna be wild. Will Schalke find their second win? Is it an upward trajectory for SK? Ooh, find out on the next episode of LEC.